if you're taking notes here this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word, Trials, Temptation, and Victory. Trials, Temptation, and Victory. We've all had trials. We've all had temptations. But not everybody's had victory. Not everybody's experiencing victory. Some of you have, and I don't care how godly you are, you've also experienced defeat. Jesus is the only one that's never been defeated once. He truly is undefeated. On this Super Bowl Sunday, I know there is one team in the history of NFL that went undefeated, but in the scheme of what really matters, everyone's been defeated. True? But not the Lord Jesus. Not one defeat. Even when the enemy thought he had defeated Christ, he actually was defeated at the cross. But Jesus had never been defeated. And everything that you and I will go through, Jesus, because of the will of the Father, went through every single sorrow, pain, difficulty, all the things He is acquainted with our sorrows and grief. He's acquainted with the things that we've gone through. Allowing himself to endure the same type of difficulties in life that you and I have had to endure and many of our brothers and sisters around the world, but even more. You know, see, Satan doesn't really devote himself to every single person personally. He was definitely devoted to Jesus It says that he would even come back again at what? An opportune time. Um, Most Christians will blame the devil. I shouldn't say most. Many Christians will blame the devil for things um, that really the devil has nothing to do with. True? Um, We do get spiritual attacks. We just read it in Ephesians 6. We do have the enemy attack us. But we also, for the most part, Uh, really battle our own flesh. At the same time, God really does allow difficulties to come, and those things, we don't always bring those on ourselves. Many times those are things that we didn't uh, bring. Some of them we do. Uh, But a lot of them, there's just things of living in a fallen sin world. means that life can be really difficult, can't it? There's going to be those tough times. Uh, But the devil made me do it is really not the case in most times. Uh, If anything, if we do have spiritual attacks, most of us have some low-level demon, right? Jesus had Satan himself with a calculated, planned attack for a sustained amount of time, 40 days worth. 40 days. Now, 40 in the Bible, many of you are probably familiar that 40 is a significant number in Scripture, is it not? The 40 years in the wilderness... You know, Moses himself, after he fled, uh, even before he would lead the children of Israel for those 40 years in the wilderness, he himself uh, ran from Pharaoh and was there for 40 years. 40 is a time of testing. It's a time of trial. It symbolizes uh, trials or testings or some sort of uh, intense pressure. And if you're taking notes this morning... I've titled, uh, I already gave you the title of our time in God's Word, but the three things that we'll look at this morning is is my custom, 
preparation, pressure, and power. Preparation, pressure, and power. It tells us that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This was no accident that Jesus ends up in the wilderness. God had prepared him to endure this 40 days. 40 days of temptation, 40 days of trial, 40 days of difficulty, and he would not eat during this time. Nothing. Now, from a fasting perspective, 40 days is is the general limit of the human body. There are believers. Some of you may know some that have done a 40-day fast without food. You can, you can, well, not everybody can. Some people can go 40 days uh, because it is dependent on physiology. Not every person could even do 40 days and live, but a lot of people could. Uh, and Jesus certainly was in the condition that he couldn't, even beyond all that, the Father was going to help him go 40 days without food. But we know that Jesus was prepared for this in a lot of ways. But even just before this, what took place? Well, just before this, we know that he was baptized in the Jordan. And what happened? The Holy Spirit came upon him. I was reading in D.L. Moody's uh, book, Prevailing Prayer, just this week. And I read something that caught my eye because I had missed this as well. I've read... Uh, the story of Jesus' baptism numerous times. But Moody said this in his book, Prevailing Prayer. He said, I want to call special attention to Christ as an example for us in all things, and nothing more than in prayer. We read that Christ prayed to his Father for everything. Every great crisis in his life was preceded by prayer. But he goes on to say, I have never noticed till a few years ago that Christ was praying at his baptism. As he prayed, the heaven opened and the Holy Ghost descended upon him. Look back in your own Bibles in in Luke 3. You'll see that what D.L. Moody observed is exactly correct. Look at verse uh, 21. All the people were baptized. It came to pass that Jesus was baptized. And while he prayed, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended. From a standpoint of preparation, it's not that there could be, possibly, will be trials and temptations in your future. There will be. True? The only way that those escape is when you are in the presence of eternity in heaven. Up until that point, new ones will come. New trials, new, tri- new tribulations, new temptations, We always are in a state of preparation for what's coming next. And even the Holy Spirit, in His love and mercy, will lead us directly into intense hot spots and battles. But it was in prayer that Jesus received the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you've got to remember, Jesus, He is the Father. He is the Spirit. He is the Son. He is all three of the members of the Trinity, and yet he distinctly lays aside and submits as the Son to the Father, waiting for some of the same things you and I need, i.e. the falling of the Holy Spirit upon him. 
Now, Jesus, he had just been water baptized when the Spirit comes upon him. One thing that's good to note for us as believers, um, if you're newly saved or you've been saved a while and you've not been water baptized, that is a problem. Doesn't mean you're not saved, but you will not experience all that the Lord has for you as far as the Holy Spirit's work in your life until you first obey that command to be water baptized. Amen? It's a command. No matter that, when we're told to go into all the world preaching the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's still important. You can be saved without being baptized, but the power of the Holy Spirit I'm not saying that people don't get the Holy Spirit. They get that with salvation. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But if you resist the very first command to go be baptized, we have a problem out of the starting gate. Jesus sets the example and is water baptized. Not for the remission of sins. Jesus was sinless. It's an example for us that we need to be yielded. Baptism is not just a public statement. When the Ethiopian unit was baptized, no one was around. So it's not always about a public statement, although that's valuable. Anytime you can be baptized publicly, praise the Lord. That's great. But the Ethiopian eunuch said, what forbids me to be baptized? He said, nothing. Here's some water. Let's do it. Because the first aspect of baptism is its obedience to what the Lord himself has already done and what we must do, and the baptism or the drenching of the Holy Spirit in our life comes by following and yielding each of the things that the Lord has already told us to do. Uh, R.A. Torian, I believe, is definitive work on the baptism uh, with the Holy Spirit. He talks about that to receive the full drenching power of the Holy Spirit that a person, the normal order is almost always to be water baptized first. It, by the way, God is God. He can reverse that, and he does in a few times in the book of Acts. God doesn't really ask permission. He can reverse any order he wants, but the rule of thumb for us is be saved, call upon the name of the Lord, then be baptized, and then be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and then walk in the Spirit, making no provision for the flesh. And we see Jesus follow that order. Water baptism, baptism, baptism the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and then he goes forth into ministry, which is important with why he said in Acts uh, 1.8 that you will be receiving power to be what? My witnesses. Because the rest of your life, whether you're a pastor or a stay-at-home mom or a business person or a line worker on telephone poles or whatever it is you do in your life, you still have a ministry to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you here and now, you're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit to do it. True? Because your co-workers, they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And the billboards you ride by are definitely not from the Spirit. And the bumper stickers you're sitting behind when you're just minding your own business say, why did I have to see that? is not from the Holy Spirit. And what comes on the TV commercials during the Super Bowl will definitely not be from the Holy Spirit. Not all of them. Some of them will be funny. Sadly, they will be not the only ones. And so all of these things, we need the Holy Spirit to keep us refreshed and empowered. But we have to follow the first things first. The first thing, be saved, be baptized, and be drenched 
and overflowing with the Holy Spirit, preparing for what is to come. You and I have to be Jesus was prepared for this. We all know that he was prepared like no one else to endure what he was about to endure. I don't think we have any idea how it was for 40 days to be nonstop, communing with the Father, but be under a virtual onslaught from hell. The Lord Jesus. Now the cross would even be greater. This would be one of Jesus' most incredible tests that he certainly would pass with perfection. But he lays for us what I want to look at today in this preparation, pressure, and power as he lays out for us how we too can walk in victory. See, Jesus did not die on the cross to save us, and that was it. Although that in and of itself is of an enormity that you can't even describe. To escape hell is such an incredible source of gratitude. But beyond that, we know that even once we have been saved, we have still a constant battle around us. And Jesus says, I'm going to be with you even to the end of the age to take you through, not around everything, through it. When the Red Sea was there, they didn't go around it, did they? That wasn't an option for God. Don't you love how God does things? Here they are at the Red Sea. It's pretty much how they're thinking. We're either going to be killed by the Egyptians, because we're hemmed in on on a wadi, a valley there, uh, with mountains on both sides. We're either going to be slaughtered, or we can just go on into the Red Sea and drown ourselves. But either way, we're toast. And God says, aha, what if I come up with another way? How about you walk straight through it on dry ground? Who can do that? Only me. And that's what Jesus does. He doesn't take us around everything. He takes us through these things. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit knew what was coming. God knows everything. But Jesus was going to set an example for us, just as he did with baptism, how we can endure trials and temptations, because we're going to have them. We have them all the time. He heads out in the wilderness, a reminder to us that we head out into the wilderness of this world. And sometimes they're tougher than other times, aren't they? Right now you may be going through a very tough time. Maybe you're going through a really nice, easy, smooth sailing time. Paul was too until Malta, right? Sometimes the seas, it says the winds were blowing just nice and fair there in the book of Acts. And then out of nowhere... Our Euroclidon, tempest, shipwrecks all of them. Sometimes are better than others, sometimes are easier than others, but we have to be preparing now, being drenched by the Holy Spirit, being in prayer, being in fasting. We, uh, we fast as a church. I don't know how many of you are aware of it. I'll re-remind you, we fast every Thursday. Some of you fast the entire day, some of you fast one meal. Some of you fast two meals on Thursdays. We pray for things like revival, prodigals, needs in the body. So I hope you'll join us this coming Thursday. Uh, I want to be setting up, I will be setting up a 24-hour prayer vigil for our sister Paula, 
with stage four cancer. We need an absolute book of Acts miracle. I believe God can still do it. I took pictures of her stomach because if she's healed, I want to show people the proof of what God did. I believe God can. So we're going to be setting that up. And I, I, want, I would ask you right now to already say, I will sign up for that. Put me down. My family will, will, will take one of those hours, 24 of them. And I'm going to do it the way they do it uh, in, the, in the scriptures from sunup uh, from 6 o'clock in the evening till 6 o'clock the following day, which is the Jewish 24 hours. But we need to be preparing in prayer. We need to be diligent because what I fast for today is preparing me for when I'm turning 50. I'm 45 now, right? What you fast for today, what you pray for today is preparing you for the wilderness of next week and tomorrow. Now, God's gracious. If you've never prepared, you can still cry out. But you need to beginning to learn. Why did I read from Ephesians 6? Because Paul wrote in Ephesians there that we have to right now today put on the armor. It's kind of hard when you're in the middle of a battle, say, hold on, can you stop for a minute? I need to put on my helmet. Um, dear soldier on the opposing side, um, I would like to put on my breastplate. I don't have my sword with me. Can you wait a minute? That's not how war works. We are in a battle. It was A.W. Tozer that said the problem is most Christians think they're on a playground instead of a battleground. When you realize you're on a battleground, you're preparing ahead of time. Tozer also said, he said, I remind you that there are churches so completely out of the hands of God that if the Holy Spirit withdrew, withdrew from them, they wouldn't find it out for many months. And that's true of a lot of Christians, too. They're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. They're not in prayer. They're not in the Word of God. Prayer and the Word of God go hand in hand. D.L. Moody talks about this in his book, Prevailing Prayer. Um, for those of you who don't know who D.L. Moody was, he's one of the greatest evangelists the body of Christ has ever seen in the late, seven, in the late 1800s. But we have to be preparing by being in the Word today, every day, meditating upon it. Psalm 1, right? That we would be planted by the rivers of water, nourished by the Word of God. Our prayer life and the Word of God go hand in hand. What we read prompts us to pray, and how we pray prompts us to understand the Word of God. The two go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other, but Jesus was a man of prayer, and we know He was a man of the Word. Preparation. He said himself, when they couldn't, uh, they couldn't cast out a demon, he said, this, time, this kind can only come by prayer and fasting, Mark 9, 29. Preparation, so important to the believer. We must be in the Word of God daily. We must be in prayer. We must be having the Lord constantly inspect us for blind spots. We have them, don't we? For weak areas, for hindrances, for roots of bitterness that are still in us. Some people are going to be defeated because they still have something against another brother or sister. You have to go make it right or you'll be defeated. It has to be made right. There's still an area of resistance to the Lord, something He's asking us to do. Jesus was yielded in all areas. He was filled and drenched with the Holy Spirit, prepared. And then He goes and we see the pressure He endures. 
tempted for 40 days, and in those 40 days he ate nothing. And we see the first temptation begins in verse 3. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now we'll come back to the temptations in just a minute. But I want to look first at the pressure. There's two kinds of pressures we're talking about here this morning. One is trials, and the second is temptations. And I'm talking about both of those that we have not brought on ourselves, but God has allowed, because there's a big difference. Right? We have things that we totally bring on ourselves, and there's things that God allows. Um, if you know for certain that eating 50 wings tonight is going to be problematic for you, you'll have no one to blame on number 49 or so. When you're feeling really bad, that is not a trial that just blew it out of nowhere. Nor was it a temptation either. It was just your own flesh. Remember we talked about that word that Solomon, he couldn't come up with anything. He said, stupid. That's what that is. But, these, but the trials and temptations I'm speaking of are the kind that you really are walking in the Lord and you get blindsided by. Could be physical health, could be a death in the family, things that you, you're, you're trying to serve the Lord, and you get just blindsided. Jesus is not doing anything but righteousness, and he will endure 40 straight days of trials and temptation. He's not indulging in anything, and he's still going to endure. You could be doing everything right, and God will still allow. Job was the arch example from a, from a human perspective. He was living righteous, and that's why Satan said, let me have at him. When I'm done, he'll be as bad and as worthless as every other person. God says, no, he won't, because I will stand with him. We learn a lot more through the pressures of life than we do from the blessings. We don't want to hear that, do we? <laughs> Moody also said, we can stand affliction better than we can stand prosperity, for in prosperity we forget God. This is true of every society. Certainly America is, is proof of this. The more we've been blessed, uh, you know, the number God bless America. He's already blessed America. He's blessed us tremendously. Our answer has been, thanks for the flat screen, I now will spend my time with that instead of you, or whatever it is. Trials, times of difficulty, times of testing. As I mentioned with Job, God allows these storms, these harsh desert periods to invade our lives. Some are mentally taxing, aren't they? Very mentally taxing. Some of them uh, just exhausting. Some of them are very painful physically. Even sometimes see children endure some of these things. Some are emotionally difficult. Some are all of the above. Job experienced all of the above. Everything. Death in his family, physical, emotional, mental, exhaustive. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed. Boy, aren't we sometimes, right? We are perplexed, 
Paul, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He went to the third heaven. He said, we're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Jesus was weary in the desert, but not forsaken by God. Weary, yes. Paul talks about us being perplexed. James, we know these passages, but they must be read again. James chapter 1, 2 through 4, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That's a maturity, by the way, that comes with time. Not that you'll start jumping up and down, but you start accepting it and say, Father, do a work in this. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its, but let patience have its perfect work. You've got to let it have its work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The Lord will allow these things to invade our lives. These trials, I'm speaking first of trials, we'll look at temptations, but the, God would allow these things to complete us, to perfect us, to conform us to the image of who? Jesus. If he went through trials, why would we escape them? We won't. Everything was done as an example for us. The greatest temptation, now there, with trials comes a temptation. We're going to look at straight on temptation, but with trials comes one temptation specifically. The greatest temptation with trials is to get angry at God or stop believing Him. That, and Satan is fine with that response. He loves that response. If a person becomes bitter with God and, a, and walk away from God, or a person will stop believing the truths of God, Satan has succeeded. And many times, once a person gets to that point, if Satan is has been given reign to attack from a physical trial of some sort, he'll lay off because now you're not a threat anymore. You'll just follow after the world because you no longer believe in God and you're angry at God. But Hebrews 13.5 says, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now either God has said the truth that he will never leave us or forsake us, or that's not true. We don't have a third answer. Either that's true or not true. Do you believe that's true? That God will never leave you nor forsake you? If you belong to Him, those are your parents. If you promised your kids you will never leave them nor forsake them, do you mean it? Or can your kids count on that? I'm not saying that you'll be able to do what they need. Mom and Dad, I need $1,000. I don't have 100 but I'll be there to put my arm around you. Well, God has both. He has the arm and he has the $1,000. Amen? And, and a trillion and whatever else he needs to bring to bear. He has an army. He has an arm. He has everything we need to never leave us nor forsake us. John 16, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. We talked about peace last week. Jesus said, that you'll have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to this purpose. I find great strength in rereading these verses. How about you? I don't care if I've heard them a hundred times. God says, if you hear them a million times, it won't be too much. You will hear the same ridiculous advertisements a billion times. 
My daughters can quote certain commercials. We think some of, the, come, some of them are just monotonous, but they're kind of funny. And we can quote every word. having heard them like five or six times. Try that with a verse. I can't remember the first three parts. <laughs> what is that? We can remember things that are worthless. And then when you have something that's worthy of remembering, poof, can't remember it. And if I could remember it, I'm not sure if that's really true. Well, I can read you testimony after testimony after testimony from Genesis to Revelation that proves it's true. Yeah, but that was a long time ago. I don't know those people. What about if I could bring you people that are alive today? Oh, I don't know. They're probably just trying to talk me into something. God says, believe. Believe me. Only believe. We talked about that last week, why it's so important that the peace and the hope that he pours out in believing, in believing, Romans chapter 15. The Lord has saved us, hasn't he? He's for us. And yes, even though he's for us, even though he saved us, he's allowed pain and suffering, but he's promised. He has promised. Psalm 23, 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for your rod, you're with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's a promise. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, when I'm talking to people that are enduring that maybe they're facing death, I have to remind all of these things. And they're very comforting to people that truly are in despair because God wants to reach down and strengthen He's doing this with his son, even in the midst of these 40 days, strengthening the Lord Jesus, bringing him through. God will bring us through. If it's not your time to die, God will bring you through. If it is your time to die, he's bringing you home to heaven. This is why Paul was able to say the following, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Paul actually meant it. Preach that verse to yourself regularly. For me to live as Christ, whatever it is, good times, bad times, hard times, difficult, and to die is gain. Gain. You will not miss this earth one second when you're in heaven. The earth, compared to heaven, and this is a bad analogy, would be like dog manure compared to the greatest meal you've ever had. <laughs> would be compared the earth to the universe. And even still, no comparison will work because Paul said the things of this earth aren't to be compared. He said the sufferings of this time are not to be compared to the future glory of heaven. What about these temptations? We know that trials come. They come out of nowhere. They can come when you are really at your most peaceful, restful, righteous pure walk with the Lord. Job himself, again, such a great example of that. And the trial can come. But what about the temptations? Before we look at the precise manner in which Jesus responds to temptations, something for the world that I think is ironic. Isn't it ironic that so many people who believe the lies of Satan, and he's got a lot of them, and some of these same folks are used as pawns in his agenda, producing garbage by the 
you know, megaton. Those are the folks that also don't believe Satan exists. Isn't that interesting? This is not only just a story. This is a real eyewitness account of what took place in the Judean desert between the Lord Jesus Christ and Lucifer, whom he created. By the way, this is not an even battle. This is not mano y mano. Anytime Jesus wants, he can have Satan, he can say the word and Satan is in the lake of fire. Everyone realizes this, right? This is not some equal battle of Satan on one side, Darth Vader on this side, Luke Skywalker on the other. This is not an even fight. Jesus can smoke Satan anytime he wants. He's going through this to teach us all something and to prove that we too, under the power of the Holy Spirit, can actually have victory snatched right out of defeat. But a lot of people don't believe that Satan's real, but he's real, isn't he? And even though he's no match for Jesus, he is able to destroy the lives of millions and even billions of people. And he's been following and watching human nature for a long time. He knows what makes people tick. He knows what gets their eye. He knows what allures them. He knows what will cause them to doubt God. And he's a master at it. And he uses many different tactics, although they're really the same tactics packaged into many different variations. Does that make sense? It's really not that many tactics. It's kind of like, you know, I like sports, I like football. There's some teams that will use the same play with different variations. It's really, it's just a few variations of the same thing. Satan does this, but he does it multiplied many. He does it through religions, false religions. He does it through uh, different temptations. He does it through deception. He does it through uh, different mantras that people then begin to believe in. But temptation is something that, as a believer, we're not immune from even after salvation. Now, Satan, he has to spend little to no time whatsoever following around with temptation those who are lost. I don't, as I said the scriptures, I don't believe Satan spends a lot of energy really convincing lost people to fall to temptation. Why do I say that? Those that are still trapped in sin. Well, Paul says in Romans 6 that before Christ, we were already slaves to sin. They're already just, if you're a slave, you can't even say, you can't say no to anything. So there's really not a whole lot of work. Those that are still in bondage to sin, they need to be set free first. There's not a lot of work for the enemy to do in tempting those that are lost and in bondage to sin. You remember the quote in the 1989 movie? Remember that movie, Field of Dreams? And the quote was, if you build it, he will come. It's like Shoeless Joe Jackson was going to come out of the past. If you build the field in the cornfield there, if you build it, he will come. Now today we use the term, if you build it, if you build it, they will come. But the original term was, if you build it, he will come. Well, Satan, he's done this. He has built a worldwide system of lust, pride, and deceit. It's already built. He's built the system, worldwide system of lust, pride and deceit, and he's not hunting people down, trying to convince them to sin like he's doing with Jesus here. 
No, no, no. The lost are running full speed and paying full price to enter the big top tent that he's already built. Do you follow me? He's not hunting them down. They are looking, longing, cruising, finding the answer to their flesh. Peter, you say, well, I don't know if I agree with that statement. Listen to Peter in 1 Peter 4.4. They think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They don't understand why you're not running in the same direction. They're not being hunted down or chased down by Satan. They're already running to the big tent with all the pleasures of the world. And they think it's crazy that you're not running in that direction because you're actually going against the grain to the narrow path and running the opposite direction to the Lord. But even once we're running with the Lord, Satan's not done working with us either, is he? See, while the world operates on self-destruction autopilot, the enemy prepares precise plans to attack the true believer. Jesus said to Peter in Luke 22, 31, Satan has asked for you that he may desire, he desires to sift you as wheat. He's asked for you, Peter, by name. He said, I want a piece of Peter. I want to sift him as wheat. I think I can destroy him. And of course, Jesus said, I've prayed that you won't fail. Your faith will not fail. Isn't that great? If the enemy tried to tempt Joseph, who the Bible mentions no specific sin, although he did, he wasn't sinless. David, man after God's own heart. Daniel, and of course the Lord Jesus himself, the Son of God. You can be sure that any believer, any believer, any believer that follows Christ will be targeted by the enemy. Any believer. He's going to try and tempt Everyone, Romans 7, 18, Paul says that in our flesh, how much good dwells? Nothing. Nothing. It's only the preparation of God. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit that you and I can walk in righteousness. I didn't say perfection. Jesus doesn't say, well done, perfect servant. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. The servant that prepared, the servant that prayed, the servant that stayed in the Word was protected, the servant that had on the whole armor of God, the servant that had the oil and lamp lit. All of those things are us doing what the Holy Spirit will lead us to do. By the way, that is not something that you in your flesh even want to do. The fact that you desire to do the righteous things comes from God Himself, and He'll help you keep it. That's why you know my life verse. I know who I believed in, persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed. We must commit, and the Lord will help us to keep these things. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I used to think that that, uh, and, and that verse can certainly be representative of the whole world, but I think it's most representative of the believer because, as I mentioned, those that are lost are already devoured. They're devoured now. They are dead. They're a corpse, according to the Scripture, until God revives them to eternal life. But once you have been raised up in newness of life, 
The enemy's trying to devour you because why? Because true saints multiply. And you're a threat to bring other people to Christ. And you're a threat to glorify the name of the Lord. So the Lord Jesus warns us to be sober, to be vigilant, to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. He's coming after Daniel. He's coming after David. He's coming after Abraham. He's coming after Moses. He's coming after Jesus himself. But God will protect those that are his. Amen? He'll protect. Let's look at these temptations in, in brief uh, as we start to wrap things up. Look at this first temptation. He tempts him with the, he says, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. We see Jesus' response. We'll look at the responses in just a second. I want to look first at what the temptations are. The first temptation, number one here, is pride and cravings of the flesh. If you are the son of God, if you have power, if you're spiritual, if you're able to do all things, the enemy will love one, one real, real thing to be... Now, Jesus really is the Son of God. That really is one of his many titles. Son of man, Son of God, King of kings, Lord of lords. Jesus has all these Prince of Peace. They're truly his titles, and he's worthy of them all. Be careful when men give you titles, because we're not worthy of them. Men love titles. Satan knows men love titles. You're senior vice president. Did you hear? Uh, let me say it again. You're senior vice president. You deserve everything you want. You deserve it, because you're smart. You graduated from Harvard with honors. You're smarter than other people. You're harder working than other people. You deserve that. We don't deserve anything but hell. Do you understand that, right? Satan's saying, you're the son of God. You deserve a good meal right now. And you can do it. You've got the power. And Jesus says, I won't do it. We'll come back to his answers in just a second. But the first, pride and the cravings of flesh. Satan knows how prideful we are. Every one of us, it's true. John MacArthur said for years, when every other sin is gone, you'll deal with pride the rest of your life. It's true. You'll always deal with pride. And you'll have to crucify it every day. That's why Romans 12, living sacrifices, right? You'll have to crucify it every single day, and you'll be prideful about the dumbest of things. You'll even be prideful about your humility. People do. They're prideful about their piety. And they'll couch it in such crazy terms, and you can see right through it. Be careful. Don't do it. Because a lot of times people will see through it and you'll lose your integrity by writing semi-humility-type emails that people realize aren't so humble. Right? But the enemy knows he wants you to cultivate you're the Son of God. Even though Jesus really is the Son of God. Jesus was laying aside. Remember, Jesus laid a lot of his glory aside, didn't he? A lot of it. He took on the humility even of the cross. He laid aside those things. Don't let the enemy deceive you. I love Daniel 1.8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Yes, Daniel's like, 
I could take part of the king's meat and the delicacies, but the Lord has told me no. I won't defile myself. The temptation, the second one, temptation number two. He says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Took him up to a high mountain and showed him all the kings of the world in a moment of time. Now, we do not know what in the world just took place with that thing. What high mountain can you see all the kings of the world? Even if you're standing on top of Everest, you wouldn't be able to see uh, beyond China, Tibet, and a few other places. And remember that Satan, one of his titles is Prince of the Power of the Air. There's a lot of supernatural things happening here. You don't zip around the world and get on top of the temple, and no one sees them on top of the temple either. This, is a, this temptation takes place in a high, high realm where Jesus has this interaction with Satan. Remember, Satan was, is even able to have access at some level, and I believe uh, that's a whole different study, where he can even come and approach the throne of God like he did with Job. But at some level, he may have shown Jesus the kingdoms that had already reigned or the kingdoms that were there. We don't know how this was viewed, but nevertheless, it's a supernatural. Satan does have some supernatural powers, by the way. And he shows Jesus a lot. All of it will be yours. All the gold, all the kingdoms, all the power, all the emperors will be subject to you. Now, (laughs) Jesus is already going to crush all of them underfoot. So this would be a fool's game to say yes to this. Remember Esau sold his whole birthright for a little pot of food. Jesus is the rightful king of the earth anyway. The Bible already says, all the earth is mine, saith the Lord. <laughs> Satan's actually offering him something that he has, temp- it doesn't own it anyway. It, it would be kind of like you're on vacation and a thief enters your house and starts living in it. And you come home, and the thief says, I'll give you your house. Would you like to buy it from me? (laughs) Say, no, I'm having you arrested. The enemy, he doesn't own the earth, and he's trying to tempt Jesus. I've been borrowing your house, because all the earth belongs to the Lord, and I've been borrowing it, but I'd like to sell it to you. If you'll worship me. It's lie upon lie. The second temptation, pride again, that you would actually be able to command all this authority, which Jesus already owns that authority, and the lust of the eyes. Oh, that looks beautiful. I'd love to have it. Joseph responded to the lust of the eyes in Genesis 39.9. He said to Potiphar's wife, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And the third temptation here, Third temptation. Satan takes him on top of the temple. Beautiful temple at that time, built by Herod. Says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. At the top of the temple, when I was in Jerusalem, they were told us from the top of the temple to the bottom of the lower walls, about 22 stories. Um, Throw yourself down. Satan even has a, Bible, a couple of Bible verses to go along with this one. It's written, his angels will give charge over you. They'll bear you up, right? They'll take care of you. You can do this. You can just jump. You can dive into sin, and God will be there to catch you. 
pride again, and scripture twisting. Peter warned of this, 2 Peter 3.16, he says, speaking of Paul's writings, he said, in all of his epistles, speaking in them things which, and some things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures, and all scripture twisting comes from the master scripture twister himself, (laughs) Satan. The master scripture twister, and that is a tongue twister if you try and say it. Back in Eden, Satan did the same exact things with Adam and Eve as he does with Jesus here. Same exact thing. Again, nothing's really changed. He just has more ways to do it. I can do it now through the internet, your mobile phone, TV, blah, 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 all the other things, academic, universities. I've got all these different realms of which I can perpetuate the same basic principles of deceit or temptation and making sure that I can attract people with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And, oh, by the way, just alter God's word just enough that people will bite it hook, line, and sinker. Wise believers, we must know the word. False teachers are out there everywhere. We talked about on Wednesday. If you weren't here, get Wednesday night's CD. We did a lot of discussion on that from Romans chapter 16. But remember in the, in the garden, there was the, the tree, the one tree they could not eat from. But it looks so good. What is it about human beings? God can give you the greatest blessing, and not 10 minutes later, you're like, I'd rather have this. And Satan knew it. Say, I know that's the one thing you can't have. You should desire it because God's been holding out on you. You'll be really smart, even smarter. You're already smart, Eve, but you'll be even smarter. And oh, by the way, he said the following, but he said you couldn't even touch it. He twists the scriptures just a little bit. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, 13, there is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God will will with the temptation, make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. There is no temptation that Satan brings to you that isn't new. We, are, we, we have even believers that are reclassifying sin today that say some things now are just too hard to say no to, calling things addictions and all these other things, nowhere to be found in Scripture. There's no temptation that such is common. It's always existed. Your excuse won't hold up before the throne of God. Every temptation is the same as it's always been. It's not harder to say no. It's not easier to say no. It's the same stuff that Joseph went through, that David went through, that Paul went through, that everyone else in the scriptures went through. Same temptations. They're not new. Same lies. You have the same response. And what is it? Jesus gives it for us. All three times. All three times. He quotes what? The word of God the Word of God. Psalm 1, 19, 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The reason why many Christians fall, one, they're not in the Word. Two, they're not in prayer. And three, they have no fear of the Lord. I have a healthy fear of God. How about you? He loves me. He loves me with an everlasting love but he is not to be fooled around with. He's not. 
Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. Now Jesus loves the Father and hates sin. Hates sin. Get behind me, Satan, is a powerful statement. Hate sin, but you and I have to become like Christ that we also hate sin because what the Father hates, we should hate. And the more the Word of God is in us, it drives out the darkness, doesn't it? The Bible also says we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. We're not ignorant of them. We avoid these things. We stay away. Again, some temptations come out of nowhere but we know how to handle them because we have the whole armor of God. We speak the word of God to them. How can I do this wickedness, Joseph said. Wickedness. He didn't say, how can I do this mildly wrong thing that some people might think is wrong? Wickedness. Have a distaste, a despisement. Jesus, all three times, he answers, it is written. It is written. It has been said. He quotes from Deuteronomy 8, 3 and verse 4. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6.13 and verse 8. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6.16 and verse 12. Jesus responded back with the law of Moses, the Torah, the written word of God. It is written. Now, anything Jesus says becomes Scripture. And he chose not to create new Scripture, but to reiterate what the Father had already said. Temptations come out of nowhere to you. You preach to yourself if no one else is there to preach to you. It is written. No one makes us do any sin. The enemy does not send six demons, strap you into your car, drive you to the bar, put you on the bar stool, and pour the drinks. True? The enemy does not grab your feet, walk you over to the computer, and type in the following. If there's anyone doing that. I don't buy it. Those things you're running into, diving into, heading into. But if you're like Daniel and Joseph, Joseph's minding his own business, working, serving the Lord. Out of nowhere, the enemy tries to make him fall. How does Joseph respond? I cannot do this wickedness. The word of God was hidden in his heart. Hidden in his heart. Daniel, eat this stuff. No way. I will not defile myself. We have to become so filled with the Spirit, filled with the word of God, the word of God flows out from us, and we're able to resist and say no to these things. Uh, I'm not saying this with some prideful foolishness. I already said that in our flesh, nothing good dwells. You can't do this on your own. I pray every day for God's help. How about you? And I'm not, there's, Satan will tempt you with the most benign things to lead you into worse. Seemingly many things. The scriptures say every good and perfect gift cometh from above, but not every gift you get came from above, nor was it all perfect. The enemy will give gifts too. The difference between the enemy's gifts and God's gifts is God's gifts are perfect. The enemy's gifts, you might have two different gifts. I remember a pastor, um, you know, you guys know I left the business world to be a full-time pastor. I remember a pastor that I heard of uh, about a year before I left. He was in upstate New York at a Calvary chapel. uh, And at the same time, he was contemplating leaving 
and going into full-time work, he was offered another job in a different state with twice the salary. What a gift from God. What a gift. You know, I, I loved... He, he even, for a while there, was contemplating thinking it must be from the Lord because here I'm in this gap time and instead of going to full-time Christian service, I got a job offer another state twice the money and his wife prayed like crazy and she goes, that gift is not, that's from Satan. <laughs> and, he agree, and he realized she was right. By the way, sometimes, it's good to have a good helpmate, by the way. Adam could have chipped in differently with Eve than he did. It's good to have a good helpmate. But the reality is, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Sometimes you have, if you can't discern it, go to some mature believers to help you discern it. I can't discern that this is from the Lord. Someone will help you. Now, that's not from God. Not all from God. Come to a close with these last two verses. Now, the devil ended every temptation. He departed from him until an opportune time. New temptations will come. Even when you win a battle, it's not over. You're still alive. New battles will come. You have to constantly be in preparation. But you have to reckon yourself dead to sin. You have to reckon yourself dead. If we don't reckon ourselves dead to sin, um, I love the little booklet by uh, F.B. Meyer. And he has some great tips. I wish I had time to go into them. But one of the ones he says, you must reckon yourself dead to sin and you claim the purity of Christ. Not your own. You don't have any purity. You claim the purity of Christ, and you're always prepared for the next battle. And then verses 14 and 15, and then Jesus returns in power. Jesus returned in power. We know that from the, uh, from the genealogy in the end of chapter 3, we talked about Jesus is the second Adam. But unlike the first Adam, Jesus resisted Satan and defeated Satan. The first Adam lost badly, didn't he? We all lost with the first Adam. We would have lost, like I told you, I would have lost worse than the first Adam. I would have put you in a way deeper hole. (laughs) Because we're all sinners. But the second Adam, Jesus, he defeated and resisted. Amen? He's won the battle. Satan knows he can defeat you, but he knows he cannot defeat Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's why Paul said, through Christ I can do all things. He didn't say, I can do all three things. He said, through Christ. The second row, second week in a row, that we're looking at a verse that speaks of power coming from the Holy Spirit. Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're with us on Wednesday night, we talked about Romans 16:20, and God, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The, end of, the battle belongs to the Lord. I don't win battles. You don't win battles. But we yield to the Holy Spirit who wins battles. And then we receive power. As with our Lord and Savior, we emerge stronger and filled with the Holy Spirit when we endure trials, when we endure temptations, when we endure difficulties with patience, perseverance, and purity. I'll close with uh, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Jesus had all of those things, didn't he? And he desires us to walk in victory. Let's close in prayer.
Father, we thank you for this time this morning and your word. We know, Lord, that through you we can endure all things. We can come through all things. Lord, we can be victorious in battle and in trials and tribulations. I pray, Lord, that you would help each and every one of us, Lord, to be fully yielded and surrendered. And even as we partake now of the, the Lord's Supper, Lord, that we'll just examine ourselves and, Lord, just lay every sin, every weight, every hindrance at your feet. Lord, you're preparing us. You're preparing us for battles we're already in, but, Lord, you're preparing us for battles that are yet to come, other trials, other temptations. We know the enemy seeks to devour every one of us, Lord, but we know that you've promised to be with us even until the end of the age. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your defeat of the enemy shows us, Lord, that you, now ruling and reigning our lives, we too can walk in victory. And that you're the one, Lord, that will crush Satan under our feet. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask the men to come forward. They're going to be passing out the elements. Now, this is a great studying a message to remind you to even now examine your heart. You know, I read that verse from 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has taken you except uh, what God has allowed, but he's faithful. Uh, two verses later, three verses later, verse 16, he talks about the cup of blessing and the communion of the blood of Christ. It's very important that you don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. We're all sinners, but that you don't partake of the Lord's Supper in unconfessed or current rebellion against the Lord. If you're in rebellion, if you're in disobedience, if you're walking in some unconfessed sin, don't take it. It's as Paul said, for this reason, some sleep and some even die. Um, it's a very serious matter. But God is gracious if you're truly saying, Lord, I am so sorry, and I repent. I turn from these things. I yield to you. I will walk in obedience by all means. The Lord says, come, doesn't he? The Holy Spirit says, come. The bride, we desire the Lord to come. But God does not want to withhold as a matter of fact he says as often as you do this he wants us to partake of this but to make sure that we do it in a worthy manner he's a holy god remember the angels the one thing they say non-stop is holy 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 to not take this in an unworthy manner so be just take a moment if uh if you're in that place say lord i thank you that i'm i'm walking in peace with you yeah, I blew it yesterday. I said something like, but confess those things, but you're not walking in rebellion. Just thank the Lord for his death and resurrection. And if you are, just repent and turn back and make things right this morning.